0: Welcome back, everyone, to our Sunday School series in the book of Zechariah. Today, we're going to be looking at chapter 13 of the book. Uh, Chapter 13 is only nine verses, so I feel comfortable making our way through that this morning all the way through. Um, As I was studying this text, I just got to say right from the outset here that, that I was blown away by the nature of this text. I'm really excited to look at this passage with you because it is so full of amazing, incredible teaching, and Jesus is all over it. So uh, without further ado, then, let's get into it. I'll read the passage for us here. This is chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, so the whole chapter. On that day, a fountain shall be opened up for the house of David and for those who dwell in Jerusalem in order to cleanse them from sin and from impurity. And it shall be on that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall not be remembered again. And also the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness I will drive out from the land. And it shall be that if a man prophesies again, his father and his mother who bore him shall say to him, You shall not live. For you speak lies in the name of Yahweh. And they will pierce him through, his mother and his father who bore him, when he prophesies. And it shall be on that day that each prophet shall be ashamed from his visions when he prophesies. And he shall not clothe himself with a garment of hair because he deceives. And he will say, I am not a prophet. Rather, I am a man of a servant of the land, for a man purchased me from my youth. And someone will say to him, what are these wounds on your back? And he will say, I have been struck by the house of my enemies. Rise up, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man who stands next to me, declares Yahweh of hosts. Strike the shepherd. And the sheep will scatter. I will turn my hand against the young ones. And it shall be in all of the land, declares Yahweh, that two-thirds of it, they shall be cut off, and they shall perish. And only one-third shall remain in it. And I will cause that third to enter the fire, and I shall refine them, as one refines silver. And I shall smelt them as one smelts gold, and they shall be called by my name, and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people, and they will say, Yahweh is my God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together in this passage. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for Zechariah. We thank you for your word. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would, that we would see you in this passage, and we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and to understand your instruction. We pray all of these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, we are in really the final stages of Zechariah. We've got chapter 13 today, and then over the next two weeks, we're going to do chapter 14. And then we'll be done. That will be the end of Zechariah. So I'm looking forward to our new series, which I'll have information on that uh, is going to be forthcoming fairly soon, maybe even next week. I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit, what we're going to be doing um, in our new series uh, after Zechariah. But for now, we've still got the chapter 13 and chapter 14 to go through. And today we're in chapter 13, which is the text I just read. And uh, chapter 13, just to remind you a bit of what we talked about last week, is set in the context of of mourning and judgment on the land. You remember in chapter 12, we were dealing quite a bit with judgment, but uh, we're gonna move more in a direction of redemption today, as you maybe sensed from the latter part of chapter 13. Now, our text today is gonna break down into a few points, right? First of all, I've actually got four points today, (laughs) um, although point one's kind of just an introduction. So firstly, we have the introduction, which is verse one of chapter 13 that's going to tell us that judgment is on the way. And then the uh, first real point after the introduction is verses 2 through 5, which is judgment on the false teachers. Second point is judgment on Yahweh's shepherd, which is verses 6 and 7. And then finally, we have the refining of the remnant, which is verses 8 and 9. And so we're going to see how all of these parts come together to explain God's wonderful plan of redemption in the midst of judgment on sinners. And so there's a, a really great message here and a lot of Jesus in this passage. And I'm, ex- and I'm really excited to get into that. So let's do it. Firstly, we have verse 1. We're told, On that day a fountain will be opened up for the house of David and for those who dwell in Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and from defilement. Firstly, you've got to recognize here, as we mentioned from chapter 12, judgment is on the way. There's going to be disruption in the land. And here, this disruption is described as a fountain, as sort of like the waters of the deep bursting up and breaking the land apart and sort of coming uh, in sort of a sudden way. But notice that uh, our our text is saying that this fountain, while it's actually gonna bring judgment, as we'll see in verses two and three on um, particular people, it's also going to bring a kind of cleansing For God's people, namely for the house of David and for those who dwell in Jerusalem. Well, of course, what we're talking about there is believers, right? Because Jerusalem itself throughout Zechariah is a uh, symbol of the church or the symbol of God's covenant people, the symbol of true believers, right? And so uh, this fountain, this rushing water is going to bring judgment on some and it's going to bring cleansing for others. And what I want you to see is that this is sort of uh, the image that we get of water in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Water is a symbol of grace and life and deliverance and salvation. For some, and for others, water is a symbol of destruction and judgment and immersive drowning. And this is very important when we get to the doctrine of baptism, because in the doctrine of baptism, we need to recognize that baptism as a, as a symbol using water is symbolizing both grace and salvation for believers, but the waters of baptism also symbolize judgment for unbelievers, for those who partake of the sacrament and end up not being true believers. We see this, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 3, when Peter makes a connection between the floodwaters of Noah's day and baptism. The floodwaters of Noah's day brought judgment on some, and it brought life to others. Well, that's the same thing we've got going on with baptism. Baptism is a sign and seal of judgment for unbelievers, and a sign and seal of life, salvation, and grace for believers. And we'll talk more about that in the future, because I am going to be teaching on baptism in the future, I am sure, all right, so uh, just stay tuned for more information on that because I think it's a fascinating subject. But anyway, in correspondence with what Peter talks about baptism being both judgment and salvation for believers or for unbelievers and believers, respectively, here we've got a fountain of water bursting forth in the land that is going to bring judgment on some and it's going to bring salvation to others, All right, so in our introduction here in verse one, judgment is coming, but there's also cleansing that is on the way. Now, how is this cleansing going to happen? How is this cleansing of God's church going to happen? Well, verses two through nine explain how this cleansing is going to happen. Okay, verse two, and it shall be on that day, on the day of this great waters that's, that's going to come, on that day, declares Yahweh of hosts. I will cut off the names of idols from the land, and they shall not be remembered again. And also, the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness I will remove from the land. So, you notice there's a few things that God's going to do to accomplish this cleansing. Firstly, God's going to remove idols from the land, and He's going to get rid of anything in the land that will rival Him. As holding the hearts of his people, anything that is taking his place is going to be destroyed and removed and by the way, this is also a call for us Christians to make sure that we're doing this in our daily lives, right We need to get rid of the idols in our own lives and I know you've probably heard that cliche line over and over again throughout your lives and in, in attending worship and hearing sermons and hearing Sunday school lessons and listening to Christian radio or whatever other way that you have used. Um, to hear good teaching, we're always hearing this phrase, get rid of the idols in your life. Um, And so it is sort of a cliche in the Christian community, but it's also true, right? We need to get rid of the idols in our lives, those things that distract us from wholehearted devotion to God. It should be a steady, daily, lifelong practice to mortify those sins in our lives and to get rid of those things that are keeping us from um, better service and better love of God. So this is what God's going to do here. He's going to remove the idols. I will remove them from the land. But secondly, he's also going to remove prophets and spirits of uncleanness. So God is going to remove false prophets and spirits from the land. As you know, studying the Old Testament, false prophets were a major issue. Indeed, false prophets are a major issue in the New Testament, too. They're a major issue today. People claim to receive messages from God, and they run around saying, God told me this. God told me that you need to do that. God revealed this to me. God revealed the next edition of the New Testament, some people in history have claimed. Not under those exact words, but that sort of thing. New books of the Bible, or new new editions we need to have into the Bible, or, well... Here's some new revelation from God. I don't really want it to be put in the Bible, but this is a divinely authoritative message that you need to listen to. All of these things are marks of false prophets, and we deal with it today. Israel was dealing with it here in the the, uh, post-exilic community after they came back from Babylon, and they're reestablishing themselves in the land. They have this issue of false prophets, and God says, part of the the necessary work of purifying and cleansing his church from sin and from impurity is to get rid of these false prophets. Our only authority is the word of God, not fanciful messages that people claim to receive outside of the Bible. As Martin Luther well put it, he said, if you want to hear the voice of God, read the word. And that's absolutely right. The word of God is where we get our our uh, special revelation from him. Now, notice verse 3. Verse 3 explains to us the seriousness of the sin of being a false prophet. The seriousness of saying, I have a message from God, when you actually don't have a message from God. The seriousness of being a false prophet. Look at verse 3. And it shall be that if any man prophesies again, that is after God's removed these false prophets, um, then they shall be run through. They shall be pierced by his father and by his mother, who bore him when he prophesies. So we have being described here the fact that if a false prophet comes up and says, hey, I've got a message from God, well, he should be killed. Now, that's not a norm that that we should enact today. All right, we're not going to go around killing people because they claim to have messages from God, at least I don't think so. Um, But that was a provision of the Mosaic Law. In the Mosaic Law, false prophets were to be punished with death. And so that's what's being emphasized here, the extreme um, nature of being a false prophet. It is a serious sin, one that is worthy of execution, that's worthy of capital punishment, according to the Mosaic Law. And that's what's being described here. Not only is execution commanded for being a false prophet. But also in Zechariah here, we're told that the execution is carried out by his mother and father. That's a serious sin. If your mother and father are going to actually accomplish the execution of you, all right? you've really done something bad at that point. Um, and so being a false prophet is extremely serious. And that's the kind of judgment that is going to come upon them. We're told in uh, verse 4 that these false prophets are going to be ashamed. They're going to be put to shame because people will figure out that their messages are not from God. That where they claim to say, God told me this. God, prophes- God, g- God gave me this, this, um, this message that X and Y and Z is going to happen in the future. And it doesn't happen. And they're exposed. That kind of thing people will see through the fact that these so-called messengers from God, these false prophets, are entirely liars. They speak deceit, and they'll be ashamed, and they will not even be able to cover themselves because they will be so ashamed. Indeed, they're going to be so ashamed that they're going to try to lie themselves out of the situation that they're in. Look at verse 5. Um, and he will say, I am not a prophet. I am a servant man of the land because a man purchased me from youth. So these these false prophets are going to try to lie themselves out of their situation. When they're found out, when people realize that they're not actually messengers from God, they're going to say, well, I was. I'm not actually a prophet. You got it all wrong. I'm actually just a normal person, just a slave, nothing more. See, they try to sidestep their judgment by claiming that, well, what I said wasn't really what I said. I'm not really a prophet. They try to get out of it, basically, is what they're saying. And here's the thing. In verse 6, they're caught in their own folly. Because in verse 6, it says, someone will say to him, um, what are these scars on your back? And he will say, well, I, uh, I was struck by the house of my enemies. Now, for those of us in the 21st century, we read verse six and we think, um, "I'm not really sure what's going on here." Okay, but if we, if you step into Israel's day and you understand some of the the, the rituals that were happening in pagan worship of idols, you start to understand what verse six is targeting here. So we've got a false prophet who's trying to deny the fact that he is a false prophet. He's found out his message has been proven to be false, and now he's trying to lie his way out of the situation by saying, well, I wasn't really a prophet, I was actually just a slave. But then in verse 6, someone will say, hold on a second, I know you're not a slave because look at those scars on your back. You see, um, in pagan idolatrous worship, cutting was a common practice, particularly on someone's back. And so if you have scars on your back, that's uh, indicating that you were involved in pagan idolatrous worship. And so what's being described here is that someone is going to come along to these false prophets who are denying who they are and what they were doing and say, hold on a second, there's proof that you're involved in pagan religious worship and that you are an idolater and that you are not a follower of God, and that you are just, in fact, a liar. Because you've got the scars and the marks on your body that you've been involved in this kind of practice. And then they'll try to lie their way out of it and say, no, I was, I was just struck by the house of my enemies. But they're again, they're a liar, because that's what false prophets are. They are liars. They speak lies in the name of Yahweh. As we're told earlier in the passage, they're liars. You can't believe them. You can't trust them. They'll weasel their way out of their coming judgment. That's what's being described here. The judgment on these false teachers is going to come. They're going to try to deny what they did, and they're just a bunch of liars, even though all the evidence is pointing against them. This should be a, a message of comfort for us as Christians, as believers, in our own day. You see, when we see false prophets, we can sometimes think, man, those false prophets, they've got so much power. They can lie to people, and people believe them. They say they have messages from God, and that they can, if you give enough money to the church, they can heal your grandfather, they can heal your wife, and if you just do X, Y, and Z, you can be successful. They've got all of these messages that they claim are from God, but really, they're just false prophets. But in some cases, they seem to be so powerful, they seem to be so, so um, successful. And we can sometimes think as true Christians who want to preach the real gospel of Christ, who want to preach what the word of God actually says, we can feel like we don't have any power because no one wants to hear our message. But the thing is, it's exactly the opposite in God's eyes. Because in God's eyes, the false prophets will be found out one day. They will come under judgment, and it will be the true people of God that are vindicated and I find that very comforting. <clears throat> so that's Yahweh's judgment on the false teachers. Our second point here comes from um, the verse is 7. And here we have calling for judgment, calling for death by means of the sword. But notice whom Yahweh is calling death to come upon. Verse 7. O sword, rise up against who? Against my shepherd, against the man Who stands with me, declares Yahweh of hosts, who stands beside me. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. So Yahweh is calling for judgment upon his shepherd against the one who stands next to him. Well, I don't think it takes too long for us to figure out who this person is, who stands next to God himself, who is God's shepherd. Well, we know that's Jesus Christ. We've already talked about that in previous chapters, how Christ is identified as God's shepherd, God's true shepherd, God's good shepherd. In John chapter one, we're told that in the beginning was the word, that is Jesus, and the word was with God. In the Greek, you could translate that and the word was facing God. That is the word was standing next to God, right? This is Jesus here. And Yahweh is calling for judgment, judgment by the sword on this shepherd, on this one who stands next to him, on Jesus. And remember, judgment by the sword is judgment by death. You remember that Paul in uh, Romans 13 argues that government has been given the power of the sword. What does that mean? That government has been given the power of, of death. Right For war, for capital punishment, those sorts of things, government is given that power by God. power of the sword is the power of death. Well, here we have execution being commanded. Yahweh is commanding that the power of the sword, the power of death, be enacted on his shepherd, namely Jesus. And now notice here that in the midst of all of this prophecy of judgment coming upon the false shepherds, or on the false prophets, we now have a prophecy of Jesus thrown in here that just as judgment is going to come on the false prophets and on sinners and on unbelievers, so judgment is also coming upon Christ himself. Only here's the difference, okay? Unlike the false prophets, Jesus spoke the true words of God and he received scars on his back For us. And he was pierced. He was run through. He was executed by his own people for us. And he suffered on our behalf. You see, the false prophets, they're going to be pierced by their own people. And they are going to receive scars on their back and all those things as sinners. They're going to receive those things because they are worthy of the judgment. But Christ himself was pierced for us because he didn't deserve it. Christ received scars on his back, the deep wounds on his back for us, even though he didn't deserve it. He did it all on our behalf. And for us, Christ receives Yahweh's judgment so that our sins could be paid for. You see this wonderful, wonderful, Prophecy of Jesus in this passage. And further, in the second half of verse 7, Yahweh says, strike the shepherd. That is, kill Jesus, and the sheep will scatter. Well, what happened when the Pharisees showed up to crucify Jesus? Well, all of his followers were scattered. The sheep scattered. Again, prophecy fulfilled here. So here in verse 7, we have Judgment on Yahweh's shepherd. So we've got judgment on the false, false teachers and the false prophets. We have judgment on Yahweh's shepherd. And now our third section here is the refining of God's remnant. And that's in verses 8 and 9. Here's what it says. What is the purpose, right? What happened as a result of Jesus' work being cut down by the sword and being struck for us? What happened? What's the result of that? Well, here's what happened. Verse 8. And it shall be that in all of the world, or in all of the earth, declares Yahweh, that two-thirds shall be cut off and shall be destroyed. They shall perish. And a third shall remain on the earth. Now, verse 9. And I will bring the third into the fire, and I will refine them. Like one refines silver, and I will smelt them like one smelts gold. Now, in this section of this passage, notice that the two thirds will be destroyed, and the one third will remain. Alright, so we've got the two thirds are receiving God's judgment, and the one third is remaining. Now, don't take this too literally to say that, like, you know, exactly, precisely two-thirds of people are going to uh, receive judgment and exactly one-third are Christians. No, that's, that's not the point here. What, what the point is, is that the majority of people will perish. The majority of people will receive God's judgment because narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it. So that one-third, that remnant, is going to be the minority. The minority of people in the world are God's people. God's people is a remnant, right? It's a minority. That's just how it is. But this remnant is going to be purged by God. It's going to be refined, right? Through trials in this life, through, through the difficulties that we have as this remnant, as this people sort of pilgriming our way through an unchristian world, right? We are being purged. We are being um, Refined, We are being smelted like fine gold and silver. And what's the end result of this? The end result is this. Second half of verse 9. And they will call by my name, and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people. And they will say, Yahweh is my God. This here at the end of verse 9, this language about um, they will be my people and I will be their God, that's covenant language. That is the language of God in the covenant of grace. As believers, we are God's covenant people. Believers in the Old Testament and believers in the New Testament. God is our God. We are his people. We are in his covenant of grace. Praise God for that. That is the end result of this work of this suffering shepherd, this work of the shepherd whom God put to the sword. God sent him to the earth for the very purpose of dying on the cross to pay all that penalty that we deserve, right? So, man, you can see why I was so excited about this passage as I was studying it and going through it to prepare this lesson. It's just Jesus is everywhere. The gospel's presented, We have the law on the front end, the judgment coming, but then we have this wonderful message of salvation and of Jesus here in this last part. So I encourage you to be encouraged by this passage and to remember this great work of Christ that we believers partake of um, as God's covenant people. Praise God that God is our God and we are his people. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this great truth of your covenant of grace that we as believers are part of. Lord, we thank you for your shepherd. We thank you for that shepherd that you sent to suffer for us, to receive those scars on his back for us, to be pierced, run through by his own people for us, to receive death on our behalf. God, we pray that we wouldn't take this for granted. Lord, work this gospel truth in us more deeply and more fully every day. And Lord, help us not to to become sick of hearing it or to become desensitized to it, but to always, all the time, be awed and in wonder of this great truth of your word. We pray all of these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.